I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. And it is under attack by the enemy of God. Today we open up this book in search of truth. Today we open up chapter 11 and everything about the early church is changing. Everything. Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit. And we say that as if somehow or another that's not a big deal. Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit. Up until this point in the book of Acts, that had not happened. How will the Jews respond to this outpouring of God's mercy upon the Gentiles? God has... The Holy Spirit has fallen upon Cornelius and his family, this Gentile family living in Caesarea. The Holy Spirit has fallen. Peter, a Jew, sees it. He's astounded. God has just did what? So the question as we open up chapter 11 is how will the Jewish Christians respond to Gentiles getting the gift. How will the Jewish Christians respond when they find out that the same Holy Spirit that has fallen upon them is also falling upon Gentiles? Here we go. Acts 11 verse 1. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received, don't, don't read over it, it doesn't say the Holy Spirit. Soon the news got back to Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem, that a hundred miles from Jerusalem in a place called Caesarea, Gentiles have received what? Doesn't say the Holy Spirit. Now, now listen, they did get the Holy Spirit. But that's not what this says, is it? That the Gentiles had received the Word of God. This is new. The message is out. What? The Word is out. You see, the Word had, had kind of remained in the Jewish ranks up to this point. And now the Word is out. The Gentiles in Caesarea have received the Word of God. I'm holding it up. That's the only way you know about it, and it's the only way I know about it, is that they wrote it down. They received the Word of God. Verse 2, but when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, now where's he been? He's been over in Caesarea watching the Holy Spirit come upon Cornelius, a bunch of Gentiles. The Word brought the Spirit. The Spirit brought salvation. When Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers, here it comes, they criticized him. What? He's been on a mission trip, and he gets back, and they criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles? Huh? You even ate with them? Huh? You did what in Caesarea? They criticized Peter. Now listen, if they'd criticized anybody else, I might understand it, but Peter's their leader, right? He's their leader. So in this scene, let me ask you a question. Do you like change? Because what's happening in this scene is change. 
is among them. Do you like change? I find very few people that like change. You know what people like? Sameness. Just keep things the same. Don't mess with my schedule. Don't mess with my life. Don't mess with my traditions. Don't mess with my culture. I want things the way they always were. And here comes Peter back from Jerusalem. And guess what? Gentiles are getting the Holy Spirit. You did what? Two thousand years of Jewish culture is about to be turned upside down by the event with Peter and Cornelius. You know why? Please don't read over it because the word of God has come to the Gentiles. That's what did it. You see, the Holy Spirit didn't just fall without the word, did it? Uh-uh, uh-uh, that's not how it works. The word of God came to the Gentiles. The message was preached from Peter's mouth, and, and not until the message was preached did the Holy Spirit fall. The world's going to change. Peter was only following God. They're criticizing him. He's, he's coming back, and he's probably pretty excited. And what does he run into? He runs into opposition. They're criticizing him. He's only following God regarding Cornelius and his family, but in following God, he has now experienced opposition. Do you think following the Holy Spirit will bring you opposition? <laughs> Do you? Do you think following the Holy Spirit will bring you opposition? You better believe it. You went into their house? I can hear, I can hear in my mind, I can hear them looking at Peter thinking, oh no, you didn't. You went into their house? You actually ate with them? You baptized a Gentile? What's happening? Because that's what was happening in the world then. This seemed unimaginable. So what do you do when you receive opposition while following the Holy Spirit? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when opposition rises? And all you're really doing is what God just told you to do through the Holy Spirit. You tell the truth. Always works. You tell the truth. That's what Peter is about to do. You turn on the light and tell the truth. You see, I've come up with this simple approach in this area of opposition. A simple approach. Let me give you some good counsel today. When you face opposition while you're under the, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, just doing what God is leading you to do, and opposition presents itself, here it is, just two things. Turn on the light and tell the truth. You'll find them both here. And if you don't know what's in here, you're going to have a hard time with both of those. Just turn on the light and tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Turn on the light. Quit, quit apologizing. Peter didn't come back from Caesarea and say, I'm sorry, I baptized Cornelius. Why? Because God told him to do it. I didn't say it always gets you out of trouble. What? Turn on the light and tell them the truth. I'm not going to tell you it always gets you out of trouble. Because there is going to be opposition. But it does always get you out of trouble with God. Do you think the Jews in Jerusalem will believe this crazy story about Gentiles coming to salvation? About, let, me, let me tell you how crazy the story would sound. Cornelius, a Gentile, got an angel visit. 
And Peter says, and I was just on the roof and I saw a sheet come out of heaven with all kinds of critters running around on the sheet. And then God said, everything that was unclean now is clean. Are, are they going to believe this story? That's really not up to Peter, is it? Here's another fundamental truth I came upon. You know, you know Peter's just got to turn on the light and tell the truth. It is not Peter's responsibility to make everybody believe that. That's God's job. That's God's job. Just turn on the light and tell the truth. Let God do what God does. Just turn on the light and tell the truth. Well, so what did he say? Remember, they're criticizing him. They're not happy about this whole Gentile thing. Verse 4. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. Here comes, turn on the light, tell the truth. I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into a trance, and I saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of small animals, wild animals, reptiles, the birds, and I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, I replied, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Don't call, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Here's the message. This happened three times before the sheet and all, it's, all it contained was pulled back in, into heaven. Just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. And the Holy Spirit told me, what, what? Now, you go argue with the Holy Spirit if you want to. It's not a good idea. And then Peter says, and the Holy Spirit at that moment told me, go with them. Don't worry that they are Gentiles. These six brothers here, now I assume Peter is looking to these, he's brought six people back with him. These six brothers here, Jewish guys here, accompanied me, and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you, he will tell you what? He'll tell you and everyone in your household, this is big, this is really big. He will tell you and everyone in your household how you can be saved. You think this is big? I want somebody to save me. Save me from what? Death. Death. Verse 15. Peter's saying, as I began to speak, as the message of Jesus Christ started coming out of my mouth. The word is out. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell. It fell upon them, Gentiles, just as they fell upon us, Jews, in the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words. And who do you think brought the Lord's words into Peter's mind at that moment? That same Holy Spirit. And then I thought of the words of Jesus when he said, John baptized with water, but you guys, you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
Peter's watching it happen. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift, did you hear it? Peter's, P- Peter's explaining what happened. Since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to stand in their way? Do you want to stand in God's way? Peter decided it would be a bad idea. Peter didn't do this. God did. Right? If you look at this story, Peter didn't do it. Peter just did something. He was part of it. Peter delivered the message through the Holy Spirit. I want to say it again. Peter delivered the message. The word is out. He did it through the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit did all that between Peter and Cornelius, will that same Holy Spirit open the hearts of the Jews in Jerusalem to receive Peter's announcement? Now, now, this is important. This is pivotal. If the Holy Spirit had the ability to transform the heart of Cornelius in his household in a moment by receiving the word, will the Holy Spirit transform the heart of the opposition now in Jerusalem that's hard-hearted toward Gentiles? Let's see, verse 18, when the others had heard this, now these are Jewish guys back in Jerusalem, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles, here it comes, here's the core of today's message, we can see, how can you see? The Holy Spirit just opened your eyes. We can see that God has given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting. Wow. He has given them the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. The Holy Spirit can change and open the human heart in an instant. Do you believe that? In an instant, He can do something on the inside that you cannot do for yourself. He can change your heart in an instant. Just a moment ago, they're in opposition to the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. And now suddenly, they're praising God. The Holy Spirit does that. Do you realize how big this is? This was and is a world-changing event. God has given us Gentiles a privilege. The privilege to repent. The privilege to turn around and to face God. It's a privilege. I want you to look at this scene because it's on purpose. Do you consider that a privilege? Because what God gave the Gentiles, he had already given to the Jews. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to repent. Do you hold repentance as a privilege? I'm asking you, church, today. This is really, really important. Would you be honest with yourself today? Do you hold repentance in your life as a privilege? You should. It is a gift from God. Now, when I was growing up, my dad used to make clear the difference between a privilege and something normal. There were things that you got. It was not a privilege to have food. It was kind of an entitlement. You know, my parents had kind of considered that they felt it was their responsibility to feed us. 
So when we went to the meal, it really wasn't a privilege moment. Now, some people, that is a privilege, but in America, it wasn't a privilege. It was, it was just the culture. But my dad made clear to us when we were little that there are certain things that are gifts. They're not entitlements. They're not normal. They are extraordinary. They're called privileges. And they are given out as gifts to those who will receive them. I'm going to ask you, in that context, do you consider repentance as a privilege given to you as a gift from your Father in heaven? Because it is. He doesn't have to give you this privilege. He doesn't have to give you this gift. He doesn't have to point ahead and say, you know what, you don't have to go the wrong way. You can actually turn around. It's a privilege. Do you think you can receive eternal life without exercising this privilege of repentance? Here's where I'm going. Because I'm finding the modern church is struggling with this. I don't understand why we're struggling. Actually, I do. Because they have lost sight of the Word. So I'm going to ask you a specific question. Do you think you can receive eternal life without exercising this privilege? Because a whole lot of people in a whole lot of churches would say, yeah, 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 it's called grace. This is how the... So I've been reading so far from the New, from the New Living Translation. I want to read to you the translation of the NIV, okay? Just because I want to make sure you understand that what, what does it mean, privilege? What's the translation? So let's read the NIV, same verse, verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections, and instead they praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Now, the word privilege is now translated granted. It's an event. God has granted a privilege. It's a, a new right that you didn't have yesterday. But you got it right now. God granted something, a privilege. It's a right. It's a gift. You didn't used to have it, but you got it now. You see, the Gentiles had never had it. Do you understand? The Gentiles had never gotten this gift before. That's why this is big. He granted them the privilege of repentance. Now let me read the New American Standard. Very literal, word-by-word translation. Verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down. And they glorified God, saying, Well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance. What, 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 what? The repentance that leads to where? It leads to life. Well, that means if it leads to life, that maybe you're going the wrong way if you don't repent. You might ought to turn around, which is the issue of this sign. You might ought to turn around. Have you ever thought of repentance as a gift from God? <clears throat> That's my goal today. My goal today is that when you leave here, you understand that this God has done something in Acts chapter 10 and 11. He's offered a gift. And I want you to, I want you to think of this gift, this privilege of repentance as a gift from your Father. A new right from God that must be opened. Because i got to tell you, here's what I want you to see. Have you ever thought of repentance as an open door to eternal life? 
So as you see this sign, understand that the idea of this privilege is if you continue down this road, if you continue down this road, you're going the wrong way because God's the other way. Repentance is the idea that I'm going to turn around. I'm going to change directions. I'm not going to keep walking away from God. I'm not going to continue with my back to God. I'm going to turn around and face God. Have you ever thought about that, that event as a privilege? Because here's what I want to illustrate. I want you to visualize what I hold in my hand is the privilege, the gift of God called repentance. There was a day when Gentiles didn't, get, didn't have this gift. And God, through Cornelius, through the message, through Peter, brought a gift to the Gentile world. You know what's inside this thing? The ultimate gift. You know what's inside this one, which is inside this one? The breath of God. The breath of life. It's in this one. You see, everybody wants this. But what if this was placed inside of this? And to access the breath of life, the breath of God, eternal life. You see, the Spirit is referred to constantly in the Scripture as the wind, the breath of God. Life itself is inside this. But what if God, what if God placed this gift inside this gift? You see, under, we all understand, everybody who grows up in the church, you know that forgiveness of sins is required to receive eternal life, right? So how do I get forgiveness of sins? If the ultimate gift is the forgiveness of my sins, which opens the gift of the breath of life, which is eternal life, how do I get forgiveness of sins? By faith, right? By believing. By believing what? By believing that there is another gift. There is a privilege. You see, God had given the Gentiles the privilege of repentance. So let me ask you a question. Do you hold this gift of repentance? Have you opened it? Do you feel like you need to? Surely every Gentile Christian embraces repentance, right? Surely, right? Every Gentile. We're a Gentile bunch, right? Every Gentile in this room embraces repentance, right? Right? It's the gift that opens the ultimate gift, right? Forgiveness of sins is on the inside of repentance. So every Gentile is going to run and grab this box, right? Surely every Gentile preacher will preach and celebrate the God-given gift of repentance to their church, right? All across the nation today, every Christian preacher is preaching about this gift, right? This Gentile privilege of repentance, right? No. To my horror, no. It is the gift that nobody wants to open. It is the gift. I hold before you an illustration of the gift that no one wants to open. Oh, yeah, I want what's inside that thing, preacher. But I don't want to open that one on the outside. It is the gift that no one wants to open.
It is a God-given privilege that people don't want to exercise. Can you tell me why? I hope that it's not a debate. When's the last time you enjoyed repentance? It's usually a painful thing. Can you tell me why it's hard? Why were they celebrating in Jerusalem the very gift? Why were they celebrating in Jerusalem the very gift that the church today doesn't want anything to do with? Why? Let me answer that question by turning on the light and telling the truth. What power is revealing all this to Peter and Cornelius and Jerusalem and Jerusalem's council? What power? Don't say the Holy Spirit because you'd be wrong. What power initiates all of this in Cornelius' family and in Jerusalem? What power initiates it? The Word. And then the Holy Spirit came connected to the word the holy spirit is there revealing the truth the truth about the gift of repentance this privilege honestly speaking much of the modern american church is absent of the holy spirit and yes i said that i believe much of the modern american church is absent of the holy spirit it is simply just another false religion it has abandoned the word of god and without the Word of God, there is no Holy Spirit. I get it. I do get it. I understand. Everyone wants eternal life, but they don't want repentance. I get it. Everyone wants forgiveness of sins, but I don't want to repent. I get it. I do get it. People want eternal life without turning around. Look at the picture. People want eternal life, but they don't want to turn around. They want God to give them eternal life while they walk away from Him. I get it. I understand. It's our nature. It's not unusual. It's who we are. People want to find salvation with their backs turned to God. Have it their way and yet still end up in heaven. I get it. But there's a problem with it. It's not the truth. It's never been the truth. And some people, when you bring this up, people immediately will bring opposition. This is the gospel that many preachers don't want to preach today. Jesus preached it. John the Baptist preached it. Peter preached it. It's preached throughout this entire book. And yet many preachers today don't want to preach it. You know why? Because... It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. But listen, John the Baptist preached it. Let me read it to you, Matthew 3, 1. John the Baptist talks about the privilege. Matthew 3, 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and he began preaching. His message, what's his message? His message was repent of your sins and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near. What's the kingdom of heaven? It's that box inside that box called the breath of life. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The gift that you really want is close, but you've got to repent of your sins and turn to God to receive this gift. And John the Baptist preached it, and they cut his head off. Right? Jesus preached it, Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. What's he going to preach? 
Repent of your sins and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near. It's the same gift. It's inside that repent of your sins, turn to God thing. Peter preached it. Acts 2.38. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you've received forgiveness of your sins. Then you can open the other box. Then you'll gift the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit represents the breath of God, life itself. Do you think you can receive this gift of eternal life from God without repentance? I'm asking you, church. Do you think you can receive this gift of life, eternal life, without repentance? If you say yes, understand what you're saying. You're saying that you can get forgiveness of your sins without repentance. It's not in here. You made it up. Or you're hanging out with somebody who made it up. Because it's not in here. Nowhere is it in here. Do you think the Holy Spirit is going to leave that part out? It was the Holy Spirit that reveals this gift, this privilege. And I'm going to say, there's a lot of things in the Bible that maybe in our minds are not clear, okay? There's a lot of doctrinal issues that maybe you can go one way or the other because, quite frankly, we're not sure. This is not one of them. It is plain throughout the Scriptures. That message of Jesus and John and Peter is consistent. You must repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's clear. One more time. I'm going to read it again. Acts eleven eighteen. And I'm going to ask you, do you see this as a privilege, a gift from God that you have personally received and opened? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege. God has also given the Gentiles what he gave us, the privilege of repenting of their sins. And what? What happens next? And receiving eternal life. Before we can move on, I need to know that you understand the gift and the privilege that God has given the Gentiles. Don't ignore this gift. There is no forgiveness of sins. Listen carefully. There is no forgiveness of sins without repentance. It's not in here. And if there is no forgiveness of sins, then there is no salvation. And there is no eternal life, only fearful judgment. In Psalms 7, verse 12, the word is out. The word is clear. If a person does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. And he will prepare his deadly weapons and shoot his flaming arrows. If you do not repent. In Matthew eleven twenty, the word is out. The message is clear. Matthew eleven twenty. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. They hadn't. So he denounced them. He denounced them. Matthew twenty one thirty two. 
Jesus says, For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, even when you saw the moving of the Holy Spirit and you heard the word, even when you saw this happen, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. You refused. This repentance thing is not new. Revelations 2. I find this one powerful. Jesus is writing to one of the seven churches in Revelation. This one's called the church at Ephesus. A church in the church age. And here's what he says to the church in the church age. That's us, right? Revelation 2 verse 4. But I have this complaint against you church people. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Could that be a message to the American church? Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, church, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. When I read this letter to the church at Ephesus, I see it to be a message to the American church that quite frankly has abandoned the Word of God. Let me prove it to you. Do you think the church in America would struggle with this issue of sexual sin that's dividing churches now if they were standing upon the simplicity of the Word of God? Do you think we'd be having trouble debating this in the church? I'm not talking about the pagan world debating the issue of sexual sin. I'm talking about the church is struggling with it. And in this room today, people are struggling with it about whether or not you should be living together outside of marriage and you're a Christian. You're struggling with it. Why are you struggling with this? About whether or not pornography is a problem in your life. Why are you struggling with this? How many churches won't talk about it? Repentance, it's a privilege. You think we'd be having this debate? There's churches that are struggling with even bringing up the issue of sexual sin. They won't talk about the issue of abortion about whether or not it's okay to, to, to take a child and alter, offer it as a sacrifice on the altar of convenience. They won't bring it up. Why? Because that would force repentance, and repentance is painful. But repentance is a privilege. Do you think the church would be struggling with the idea of LBGTQ or whatever other letter they want to put or gender identity? Do you think the church would be struggling with this if they're holding to the Word of God? They have abandoned the Word of God. They've abandoned the Word of God. In Lawrenceburg, there's churches that are wanting to start doing gay weddings. Jesus' letter to the church, verse 5. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. And if you do not repent, church, if you do not repent, church, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. You won't be a church. One more on this issue of repentance. Now, if all of those are not clear enough, the next verse describes the lost in the midst of the great tribulation. After the rapture of the church, there will be those left behind. 
And surely, once you see the church gone, surely once you're in the middle of the tribulation, surely then you'll repent, right? Surely at that point, after the church is gone and all that's left is hell on the earth, surely everybody will repent then, right? No, no, they won't. No, they won't. Revelation 9, verse 20. But the people who did not die in these plagues during the tribulation still refused to repent. They still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent. Here it comes. What? In the middle of the tribulation, they won't repent, and they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Repentance was a gift. It is a gift. It was given by God to Cornelius and the Gentile world. And I'm going to ask you a question today. Did you open yours? Two boxes. The outside box symbolizes today the gift of God. A privilege. What a marvelous gift. Because he did not have to give this to us. He did not have. You want grace is? Grace is this outside box. And yet we think grace is this outside box removed that I don't have to. This is grace. And inside this box of repentance is forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. It's a privilege. But I want that eternal life without that other box, preacher. Preach to me the other message, preacher. I can't. I can't. I can't do it. I am compelled by God's Holy Spirit to preach the Word. I am compelled. What you do with what I say today will be on you. But I have to tell you. I have to tell you. Do you see this outside box as a gift, really? Don't lie to yourself. Do you see this outside box as a gift? Then you would open it. You would open it. I'll tell you what, God freely forgives. He didn't give you that box just to mess you up and say, told you. He gave you that box because he freely forgives. He freely forgives those who repent. The Holy Spirit revealed this gift of God. Revealed the marvelous privilege. Do you see repenting as a privilege? Henry Blackaby, one of my favorite authors, says he wonders if repentance isn't the most beautiful word in the Bible. And to which I say amen. It's a gift. It's a privilege of God. The church's foundation is built on this truth about repentance. And yes, listen, listen, listen. Yes, there will be opposition. There will be opposition to the sermon today. Inside the church, there will be opposition to this sermon today. Why do you have to be so hard on this? Because it's the truth. And if you will ask God in your heart, honestly, is this the truth? The Holy Spirit will say, yes, it's the truth. But do you want the truth? Because the truth will set you free. The lie will just make more and more slaves out of you. People want the church and listen, I, I see the American culture. People want the church. People want forgiveness. People want eternal life. But people don't want to repent. 
I'm going to say it one more time. I am not here to try to force your mind to change on this issue. That's not my job. But I must tell you, I believe the Holy Spirit can change your heart in a second. I can't. But I believe there's power in the Word. There's power in the Word. It cuts you on the inside. It does what nothing else can ever do. It, it cuts joint and marrow. It pierces even to the very depths of the human heart. And then the Holy Spirit penetrates that, that wound and heals and delivers light and truth. Let's move on. I want to see what happens next. Verse 19. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. Uh-oh. They're, they're scattering, but they're only preaching to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles. Somebody say hallelujah. They, they started preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed, and they're turning to God, right? Do you see it? Everything's changing. Gentiles and Jews together. Believers. Now listen, it said believers went out to preach. I'm not sure if they were Jew or Gentile at that point, but they began preaching to Gentiles publicly where? In a place called Antioch. Do you know how scary that would be? How dangerous it would be if Jews hung out with Gentiles? Jews didn't like that. Not every Jew became a believer and they didn't like that. Persecution and opposition are scattering. Why are these people moving so much? Persecution and opposition are scattering these Holy Spirit field believers. And while they're being scattered, they're preaching the word, preaching the word, preaching the word, preaching the word. They probably don't realize it, but the Holy Spirit is actually directing this movement, this expansion. Why? Because the word is out. Gentiles have received the word. Gentiles have received the word. And once they receive the word, they're receiving the Holy Spirit. And once they receive the Holy Spirit, they're receiving the breath of God, eternal life. They are traveling around announcing a privilege, a privilege of Christ, repentance that leads to eternal life. Jews are repenting and Gentiles are repenting. The church, the kingdom of Christ is expanding. Remember, this is totally new to the Jewish world. Gentiles are being considered equal before God. Verse 22, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw this evidence of God's blessing. He was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. You're, I'm reading to you the origins of the expansion of the gospel across the, the earth. The Jews in Jerusalem trusted Barnabas, so they sent Barnabas to check things out because of all this Gentile stuff. Barnabas wasn't angry when he saw Gentiles turning to Christ, was he? Uh -uh. It says he was filled with joy. And guess who's about to appear on the radar in the very next verse? We haven't mentioned him for a while, and I can tell you, he's back. His name is Saul, or Paul. 
the apostle to the Gentiles is about to take the handoff. He's going to run with it. And under the Holy Spirit's power, he's going to change planet Earth. Verse 25. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching the large crowds of people. I like this, large crowds of people. It was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. That's where we got our name. Christians in Antioch. If it hadn't been for that event, I don't know, it might have been Nineveh Believers Church. But it's Nineveh Christian Church. Did you notice the context? The Apostle Saul, Paul, whatever you want to call him, and Gentiles receiving the privilege. That's the, what's the context of the word Christian? Saul and Gentiles repenting and receiving the gift. Would you join this church? Is there another one? One that's kinder and more gentle? One that doesn't require you to open a box called repentance? You just go straight on to the breath of God? You made that one up. Because it's not real. As we near the end of chapter 11, the scene changes one more time. Verse 27. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. They did this, this they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul, to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. Agabus, we'll find him later on in the book of Acts again. Agabus was a Jewish prophet, but I need to tell you, he was a Christian Jewish prophet. Agabus predicted a famine in the Roman Empire, which included Jerusalem. I know it would be easy to just read over these final verses today, but I want to explain their significance the believers in Antioch, which I assume were mostly Gentiles, were giving financial support to the Jews in Jerusalem, calling them their brothers and sisters. And who do they choose to deliver this Gentile love offering to the Jews in Jerusalem? Saul and Barnabas. Saul was the very person that was dispatched from Jerusalem to stop the church movement that he now leads. God can change the human heart in a moment. The very one who was trying to stop the church is the one God's using to grow the church. Does all this seem crazy to you? What it shows is just how dramatic a person's life change can be when they have encountered the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Do you really think you can remain the same? I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think you can remain the same when God moves inside your temple? 
Do you think he moves into your temple? Let's just say, for example, of this illustration, that, that today, on Sunday, God's presence, the Holy Spirit, the Word and the Holy Spirit have joined together, and God's Spirit moves inside of you. He, he dwells now inside of you. Do you think you're going to be the same as you were yesterday? That the glorious presence of God resides inside your tent, and yet you're the same? Really, you think that's possible? Let me wrap up. Would you join this church? I'm talking about the one in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is leading everything in this church of Jesus Christ. The gospel's being preached and Jews and Gentiles alike are receiving the privilege of repentance and the gift of eternal life. Yes, the gospel is offending some. Do you hear me? Is there opposition? <laughs> you better believe it. But others are not offended by this gospel because they see it for what it is, eternal life. If I stand here today and call each of you to repent of your sins, if I stand here today and you hear me specifically talking to you, all right, and I will not ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself, if you hear me today, look at each one of you and ask you to evaluate your life and say, is there any unrepentant sin in your life? I'm calling you today to repentance. Are you offended? Am I offending you? What are you going to do with it? Or do you see this moment, or, or do you see this moment as a divine privilege, a gift of God? Not by me, by God, through the Word. Do you think being offended by the preaching of Jesus is new? It's not new. Jesus was preaching to the Jewish religious leaders about how the Holy Spirit must change the heart of man. This is the truth of salvation. Not an outward appearance. You can't change the outside of a person. You can't change our rituals or our practices. That's not how it works. Repentance is an act of the human heart. It is an act of the human heart. As one turns, as one turns and faces God. Faith is believing and repenting. They are all the same thing. Somebody says, I have faith in Jesus, but I don't want to repent. Faith is believing and repenting. It is the same thing. Matthew 15, verse 12. Then the disciples came to him, came to Jesus and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees? The disciples are coming to Jesus because he's just giving it to them. Do you realize, Jesus, you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? And Jesus said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. That's not what he says, is it? Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into the ditch. What if they get offended by the gospel of repentance, preacher? What if there were visitors in the church that day you did that privileged sermon, preacher? They'll never come back. Because I'll hear that. You think I won't hear that? I'll hear that. 
Couldn't you have waited till there was a day when there weren't any visitors? What if they get offended by the gospel of repentance? Ignore them. Turn on the light and tell the truth. Why? 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 There is no life without repentance. There is no forgiveness of sins without repentance. Somebody made that up, and some of you are still believing it. Because your heart toward God hasn't really changed until you're willing to repent, and neither has your direction. Turn on the light and tell the truth. And if you do fall into the ditch, church, let's be real, okay? Turn on the light and tell the truth. And if you do fall into the ditch, repent and climb out of the ditch. Don't lay down in the ditch and act like you're a helpless victim. Because you're not a helpless victim. You've been offered the privilege, the gift of God, to repent, to stand up. Turn around, face home, face God, and get out of the pig pen. That's what repentance is. You're not a helpless victim, church. If you're in the room today and you're in sin, and you know you're in sin, and you don't know how to get out of sin, you are not a helpless victim. Today, by the grace of God, you've been offered a privilege, a right, a gift from God, repentance that leads to eternal life. Can you hear me today? What is this message doing to you today? Finally, this word from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Work at living in peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life for those who are not holy. Will not see God. Will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive. Look after each other. That's what our job is. Look after each other so that none of us fails to receive what? This gift, this grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral in the church. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know, you know in Esau's case that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance. Whoa. What? It was too late for repentance, even though he begged his father with bitter tears. Too late to repent. That's in the book of Hebrews. Too late to repent, rejected by his father. When is it too late to repent? Church, here's the last word. When, when is it too late to repent? I don't know. I guess when you stop breathing, I don't know if there's a point when God turns you away. It's over my head. I know this. I do know this. He says, today is the day of salvation. Today. Today is the day of salvation. Right now, while God offers you the privilege, while God offers you a wait-a-minute moment in your destiny, Esau made a terrible trade, the birthright of the firstborn for a bowl of soup. What a stupid trade, right? Esau traded the now for the forever. This is the issue of sin versus repentance. It is a terrible trade. It is trading right now for forever. So I'm going to ask you a question, church. 
Do you have any unrepentant sin in your life right now? Then you and the story of the prodigal son are standing in a pig pen. You have turned away from God, and God's marvelous grace has given you a word. And the word is, if you'll stand up in that pig pen. Don't, don't try to ignore the pig pen. Don't try to rationalize the pig pen. Don't make an excuse about how you got in the pig pen. Just stand up. Turn around and face God. It's a privilege. Because he's standing on the porch looking for you to come home. Why don't you repent? Why don't you let it go? Why don't you turn around and face God? Are you an Esau? Would you trade today or forever? Make sure no one is immoral or godless like Esau. That's what the Hebrew writer says. The American church is struggling with this fundamental truth today. Fundam this is fundamental stuff. We can't move on to important stuff because we're still dealing with this fundamental stuff. You are not a victim. Here's my last word. You are not a victim. You are a sinner. I am not a victim. I am a sinner. There's freedom in the truth. I am a sinner in the presence of a holy, righteous God. You and I stand in the same place. We are sinners who stand in the presence of a holy and righteous God that has offered us a marvelous privilege called repentance. You and I have been offered the privilege to repent that leads to eternal life. It is faith in the Word of God that has opened our eyes to this truth. It is a gift direct from God. Do you know how much this gift costs? Do you know how much this gift costs? Do you know what this costs God to offer this to you, to offer this to me? The blood of the only begotten purchased this gift for me and you, the blood of Christ offered us a privilege. And what do you think he should do and what do you think he will do if you reject this gift, this privilege? What do you think he should do? Do you know the value? I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. Do you know what that's worth? Life for life. Life for life. That's what that transaction, that gift box is life for life. The life of the only begotten Son of God for your life. But you've got to open this. You've got to open it. You can't, you can't rationalize it. You've got to open it. Opening it is to repent. So there's probably, and not probably, there are people in this room today, you need to come forward. You need to, you need to maybe get on their knees on this altar somewhere today, and you need to get real with God and stop playing this silly game. You need to let some stuff go today. You need to turn, make a U-turn today. Turn around and face God. Let it go. Somebody say, well, I don't really know how I can do that. Just start with repentance. And then the Holy Spirit will take you the rest of the way. Start with repentance. So we're going to offer an invitation today. The name of the song is From the Inside Out. Because what you need, what I need, I can't do for myself. He has to change my heart. He has to change your heart from the inside out. Let's stand. The invitation's open.